Well, welcome to week number two of Good News, everybody. And uh, we have lots of good news to celebrate in life. <clears throat> Before we dive into the Word of God, I've got to share some good news about all that happened last week as we launched a church in Alma. So this is broadcasting to Alma. So if you're in Alma right now, you already know what happened last week because you were there last week. But for those of us here in Mount Pleasant who are not there, we got to get in on the scoop and find out what happened. So I'm going to show you some images here on the screen to let you know what happened. So first of all, I want to thank everybody in particular who, who, who is a part of our Advance Initiative because this could not have happened without the Advance Initiative. So thank you for your generosity that is, an on, that is ongoing. Last week, we launched this church, and it was standing room only. The parking lot was completely packed out, and the church was packed out as well. People were literally standing in the back. We had incredible servants on the setup crew, teardown crew, people rolling out the red carpet, coffee, donuts, greeting, ushering, welcoming, um, doing the parking, all of those pieces. We had over 400 adults in the main auditorium. We had over 100 kiddos in kid life, and altogether we had about 550 people at the very first week of the launch of the Alma Church. Can we give them thanks and praise? That is huge, guys. I, like, I, in my head, I thought through these numbers a thousand times, and that just is kind of, kind of blown me away. And here's the best good news of all, and it is simply this. Last week, right here in Mount Pleasant, last week in Alma, there was a whole gang of people who for the very first time in their lives actually repented of their sins, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and began to follow, follow Him for the first time ever. And that's the best good news of all. So praise God. So can I just say to everyone in Alma, we love you. We are celebrating with you. You are our brothers and our sisters. You are our family, and we are praying for you, and we're so excited for the continued work of God there. All right, we're going to dive into God's Word. Before we do that, check out the side screens for just a second. So I hear the kids in the pantry, and I'm thinking, hmm, what could they be up to? And I open the door, and this is what I see. What are you doing? I know. What have you been doing to your brother? I just love that verbal, like, oh, man, you can just tell, i got to clean this up right now. 
Every one of those little images is simply a perfect example of someone caught with their hand in the cookie jar or being caught completely red-handed. There's no other way to interpret that. There's no other angle on that. There's nothing else to be said. There's no excuses. You are caught 100%. And that's exactly what we're going to look at in the scripture today. I will never forget, I was 16 years of age. I was working in my grandfather's shop. He had a little retail shop in the city center of Dublin. It was his dad's shop, my great-grandfather's shop. And it was a real unique little thing. It was a hole in the wall, but it was a men's outfitters that specialized in men's hats. So like beautiful old-fashioned hats, like trilbies and bogarts, bogarts and, and fedoras and Irish tweed caps, really unique little shop. And I worked in there from a young teenager and... Uh, Truth be told, I confessed some sins last week, I'll confess some more right now. Um, my grandfather paid me, and it was, you know, cash in hand. Little underneath the table, come in, do a bit of work, there's a few bob for you, say nothing, mum's the word, all as well. And that's what we did, and I worked all the summers and come into the Christmas break, and I would do that. One day, I was working in a shop, and... The shop was completely empty. It was only a small little thing. And my grandfather said, I'm popping out for five minutes. The shop is yours. I'm like, no problem. I'm standing in the shop. Check this out. I'm the only person there. I have a shirt and tie on. And a gentleman walks into the shop. I walk towards him. And I said to him, can I help you, sir? And he said, I'm from the Irish Tax Revenue Services. Do you work here? I'm the only person in the shop. I have, a, I have a tie and a shirt on, and I said, can I help you, sir? Do you work here? And I looked at him, and I said, no, I do not. <laughs> I was caught red-handed. There was no other way to interpret that situation other than I was breaking the rules, and he knew it, and I knew it as well. Today, we're going to look at someone who was caught absolutely red-handed. There's no other way to look at this thing. And it's a woman. She is in major trouble. This particular headline is that something has gone really, really wrong. And she needs to be saved from an angry mob. Jesus comes on the scene. And instead of giving her what she deserved, and she deserved, and here's the word, condemnation. She was wrong. She was totally guilty. He doesn't give her what she deserves. He doesn't give her condemnation. In fact, he gives her the opposite. He gives her mercy. Look at the scriptures in John 8. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, this is a close setting. Jesus is in the temple, he's in the synagogue. And I want you to imagine a little gang of people who want to listen to him, he's teaching. And so they're sitting down, probably in some kind of little circle, and there's Jesus, and he's giving them some teaching. It's a public place, anyone is allowed to be there. And so if you could imagine, particularly if you're engaged in a group here in the church, like midweek, you get a gang of guys and girls together, and you're like, hey, we're gonna get together in a public place. Uh, maybe we're gonna go to a coffee house. Uh, like a Big B or a Starbucks or something like that, and we're going to pull up some chairs, and we're going to maybe pray together. We're going to talk about the, the preaching from God's Word and what does that do in our lives and how are we going to respond to God. It's that kind of a situation. We're all circled up in a public place, and you're going to see something very dramatic is about to happen. 
Now, I don't think it's too much of a stretch of the imagination to say that this scene was thrust upon Jesus where they grabbed this woman. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say she may not have even been clothed. She may have been naked or half naked. Maybe she grabbed a garment. Maybe she had a sheet from a bed. She was caught in adultery. And they've pulled her up in front of Jesus in a public setting. Make no mistake about it. She is utterly and completely publicly humiliated in this moment. Now notice one piece of the puzzle that seems to be missing. Where I come from, it takes two people to commit adultery. But there's no sign of the guy. Some kind of double standard is going on here. And she's thrown out in front of Jesus Christ, and it's a shock test. It's a shocking moment. Publicly shaming her. She's being dehumanized. She's being picked out. Not the guy, just her. And she's being publicly shamed. For her, this is worst case nightmare scenario. In fact... Her life is on the line. And I mean that very literally. In this moment, she might die, physically die. Some of you have been caught. Some of you can think of a time where you were caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Red-handed. No excuse, no other way to explain it. You know you were caught. And it was exposed maybe to one person or three people or maybe everyone kind of found out about it. And you wanted the world to swallow you up in that moment. And as a result of that, and here's the word that that's going to describe her, because Jesus didn't give her condemnation, he gave her mercy. But as a result of being caught, you know what condemnation feels like in your life. You know what condemnation sounds like in your life. You call yourself a Christian. How could you have done that? You're supposed to be a follower of Christ. Why did you say that? And you were caught, and there was no way out of it. You're a bad person because you did that. You're not a good guy. You're not a good girl. You're pathetic. You've messed up again. You're a loser. You're used goods. You're dirty. You're sinful. God could never forgive you. This, this calls into question God's love about you. You're nothing. This is the voice of condemnation, and it has a plethora of ways of describing you and, and pulling you down. It is guilt, and it is shame. What's really interesting is you actually don't even have to be caught to hear the voice of condemnation. Sometimes, shame works best alone. And so when things are dark... And when no one knows, and it festers, and then here's what we do, and I think I'm describing every one of us, we think about it. I did that. I said that. We rewind the tape, and we cringe. We rethink through the mistake, and the sin, and the disobedience, and the action, or the thought, or the words, or the lack of love, or the hatred, or the violence, or the flying off the handle, whatever it was, and that's when condemnation really starts to get its hooks into you, when it really starts to grip you. I've spoken to many men, in particular, over the years, because of sexual sin, and that's what the Scripture is about. I've spoken to many men who, would, who have come and spoken to me and said, I am, I'm addicted to pornography. And I know that that applies to both men and women. But I've heard from countless men 
who would say that they just hate themselves. They hate themselves. They love God. They love their wives, but they hate themselves. You're not a man. You're disgusting. You'll never stop. Don't even say sorry again. It means nothing. And you're filled with shame. It is the loud voice of condemnation. And that is sexual sin. Now, this needs to be broadened beyond sexual sin because shame comes with all kinds of sins. But this particular sin for this woman is sexual sin. There is so much darkness and shame around that particular issue. I'll be as transparent as I can. The very first time I saw pornography, I was 13 years of age. I was on a school trip. We hopped on a boat across the Irish Sea. We hopped on a bus. We went to the south of England. We hopped on a boat across the channel, and we landed in France, and we got on a bus, and we went through France and Germany and Holland, and we got to Holland, and it was late at night. And that's when sexual sin seems to thrive the most. And there's a bunch of lads. We're all in our bunks. It was late, and a fella took out a deck of cards. This is pre-internet. He took out a deck of cards. Hey, he handed me the deck of cards. Great, we're going to play cards. But on every single one of those cards was a picture of a naked woman. Pornography. I had never seen anything like that before in my life. And I looked at it, and I can remember just being in shock. I can remember thinking to myself, it was like my heart was pumping and my adrenaline was going, and there was something inside of me that said, I don't want to look at this, but I want to look at this. What is that? Something inside of me that said, this isn't right, but I want to do it anyway. I want to look at this, and I want to look at the next card and the next card. And the guys were laughing their heads off in the room. Check it out. This tension inside of me that every single person in this room has felt, and Paul describes it himself. He says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? What is this battle that rages inside of me? And then comes the voices. I handed the deck of cards back. That was wrong. Shame on you. And I wanted to look at it again. And everyone here is familiar with the voice of condemnation. You are a horrible person. Look at the things that you have said, the places where you have gone, the people that you have hurt, the disobedience that you have said. You said you would be devoted. You're not. You said you would be committed to him. You're not. You're half-hearted. You're lukewarm. These are your mistakes. You repeat them over and over again. And it's not just sexual sin. I've had a bad day. I'm not coping. Escapism. What are you going to do? I'm going to get food. I'm going to cram it into me. I'm going to binge eat right now. I hate that I do that. We've all been there. I didn't want to do that, but I did it again. And afterwards, you're like, oh, man, I'm stuffed. I feel disgusting about what I did. Why did I do that? Sometimes it's something small, a substance, whether it's a drink, whether it's a pill, whatever it looks like. It may be very, very small, but it's bigger than you. Overspending. I'll never do it again. And it's escapism. That's all it is. Life kicks you in the teeth a bit. You're tired. You get online. Click, 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 click. And when the bill comes, oh, I did it again. Now I have to bail myself. I try to get out of this financial hole again. You fly off the handle. Man, I've been, and it's such a cop-out. You know, I've always been that way. That is a cop-out. 
And once again, you're roaring at the people that you love the most, those who are closest to you. You're shouting and screaming at your kids. And then afterwards, oh, cringe. I did it again. I didn't want to do that. I hate being this way. And then here comes the voice of condemnation. You loser. You are pathetic. Look at what you are. God couldn't possibly love you. There's no forgiveness for you. You'll never get over this. You'll keep doing this again and again and again. And before very long, here's the lie that will be reinforced. It will be seared into you. I did bad. Therefore, I am the bad that I did. Therefore, I'm useless. I'm worthless. I have no value. That is what condemnation will achieve in your life. What's really heartbreaking about condemnation is when it wasn't even you. You did nothing wrong, but watch how condemnation will get you anyway. Somebody hurt you. Somebody wounded you. Somebody neglected you. Somebody abused you. Somebody did something that wasn't right. And you internalize that with shame. And Satan is laughing all the way to the bank because you're filled with condemnation about something that you did not even do, and yet you believe it is who you are. This woman who was dragged out, she was caught red-handed in front of Jesus. Imagine if it was you. Imagine if it was a public setting. Imagine it was like, there you are in Big B's or in Starbucks, and, and somebody grabs this person. And imagine it was you in front of these other people in this public, humiliating setting. And then people were to find this out about you. And what would they do? Oh, you know, they would be talking about you. Don't go near him. He'll wreck your marriage. Don't go near her. She's a husband stealer. Don't do it. That would become your reputation. And you would think to yourself, man, that is the end of my life. But I'm telling you, for this woman in this story, she is literally thinking, no, right now is the end of my life. I am going to die. Because here's why. She has been caught in what I would describe as the top three sins in the Jewish culture. She is being dragged out for an impromptu judge, jury, and executioner. She could be killed on the spot for what she's been done, what she has done. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Look at the humiliation. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Don't miss this. They don't give a rip about the woman. It's, for them, it's not even about her. It's not even about trying to obey the law or to, to do the right thing or to handle this correctly. That's not what this is about. This is nothing more than a trap and a trick for Jesus Christ. And the trick is this. If he agrees with them, like let's stone her to death right now. If he says, yep, that's what the law says, we're going to kill her right now. Then he loses his reputation and his message of mercy and love, which they hated. If he disagrees with them, he's ignoring Moses. Can't do that. He's ignoring Old Testament law. Can't do that. He's condoning adultery. He's basically saying it's okay for anyone to do this anytime. Verse 6 explains this. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. All of this was to get to Christ. But Jesus was ready. Verse 7. Jesus bent down. And he started to write on the ground with his finger. So in the dust and the dirt, he's 
writing something. Now picture the scene. Because, guys, it's dramatic stuff. It is a mob. They're angry. This woman has been dragged here. Half clothed, maybe. It's a major interruption. What was he doing? He was teaching in the, in the temple. It is a big, dramatic scene. And the question is, should we kill her right now? Kill her. Pummel her to death with stones. It is a loaded question with serious consequences. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't answer. He doesn't address their situation at all. I actually love this about him. He, it's like he ignores them. He bends down and he starts writing in the sand, which begs the question, what was he writing in the sand? Do you want to know what he was writing in the sand? So do I. I don't know what he was writing in the sand. I have no idea. In fact, nobody knows what he was writing in the sand. It's not said at all. I think I... I have a guess as to what he was writing in the sand. And in fact, there are tons of biblical scholars who would suggest, and this is what I think, that what Jesus was writing is that he was writing the sins of those men and he was tracing it in the dirt. That's what I think it is. I could be wrong, but that's, that's what I think it is. He's writing the sins of these men who were accusing this woman. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he still hasn't answered them. He straightened up and he said to them, it's like he's taking his sweet time. Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Mm. And the language in that statement is loaded. It comes not only with the idea that he's asking, has anyone ever done a sin? The language in that is loaded. It's, it's more than that. It's like, is there anybody here who's never even wanted to sin? Oh, man. It's like the bar isn't high enough. Is there anyone here who hasn't sinned, right? That's a high bar. Is there anyone here who has never even wanted to sin? That bar is in the stratosphere. I looked at those, that deck of cards with, with pornography on it. I didn't want to look at it. I wanted to look at it. The tension of that. And maybe you have these rare moments in, in your life. I know I've had these rare moments where you're like, ah, oh, I didn't sin. Well done. For once, I didn't sin. Way to go. But I wanted to. <laughs> Come on. Am I preaching to anyone here today? I wanted to. Maybe I succeeded in not doing it, but everything inside me was like, go for it. Verse 8. Again, he stooped down. And he's writing on the ground. At this, those who began, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. It kind of cracks me up. He starts running again, and we see these older men. I can see where this is going. And they look at this stuff, and they're like, they hear the statement, anyone without sin, go ahead and throw the stone. And these older guys have the life experience to say, I'm out. And the dumb younger ones, it takes them another minute or two. Okay, yeah, me, me too. And then it's just Jesus and this woman. I mean, I just picture her. She's probably bawling her head off. I think she's very broken. And here's the thing, is she right? I mean, it's, it's tempting to be very compassionate towards her, particularly because of their double standard. But here's the thing. Was she in the right or was she in the wrong? She was in the wrong. 
she really did commit adultery with somebody. Either she was married or the person she was sleeping with was married. She's in the wrong. She's not innocent. Innocent. She actually deserves condemnation. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has nobody condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Now here's what I hope you see crystal clear today. Hands down, with absolute justice, she deserved condemnation. She did. She was sinful. She was wrong. But because of the grace and the love of Jesus, Jesus did not give her what she deserved. Instead of giving her condemnation and shame, He gave her mercy. And church, that is the good news. And for those of you who are in the same place, and today you are filled with shame and condemnation, I want you to hear this powerful scripture in Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is good news. Even though she deserved condemnation, He gave her mercy. And even though you are wrong, and even though you are guilty, you don't have to wear that. There's no more condemnation. And so what do you do with that voice that continues in your life? You're pathetic. You've done it again. You're always going to be that way. You're filthy. You don't have the capacity to change. You don't have the ability to do the right thing. God doesn't love you. God can't forgive you. Your sorry means nothing. God can never forgive you. Look at the way you are. Please listen to me. I can only say this as emphatically as I can. You are not what you did. You are not what other people did to you. I'll tell you what you are. You are what your father says you are. And if you are in Christ, this is what he says of you. You are forgiven. You are not your past. You are not what somebody did to you. You're not even what you did. Because if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Church, please listen to this very carefully. When you hear the voice of condemnation, you can know that is not the voice of your Father. Wait for it. It'll come to you this week, the voice of condemnation. And when it comes, you can know that's not the voice of the Father. Do you remember what Jesus was doing at the very beginning of the story? He was teaching. This happens over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus was doing something. I think he woke up every morning like a man on mission. The kingdom of God is breaking through. Heaven is coming to earth through me. Watch out. Every day he was doing this. And every day it would be interrupted. Something would come. Can you please heal me? Can you please deliver me? Accusations. You don't do this by the power of the Father. This is by the power of Beelzebub. This, every time stuff would come at Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, accusing him, tricking him, trapping him, trying to humiliate him. This happened all the time. And I love it. On almost every single occasion, in fact, I cannot think of a single occasion where this wasn't the case, he would handle this dramatic scene. And if I were in his shoes, I think I'd be like barely just trying to cope with what they were throwing at me, these curveballs and incredibly dramatic violent scenarios. And Jesus is like, yeah, I got that. And by the way, I was doing something. 
do you mind? I'm not done. I'm not finished. I have my own kingdom agenda here. And he's not finished in this moment. After this massive dramatic interruption, look at what he says. Now the drama is done, and Jesus just goes right back into it. Verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. This is what he was teaching about. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And some of you today, you are held hostage by this feeling that you have done wrong, and Jesus today wants to crash into that. I'll never change. I can't stop. I'm worthless. I'm useless. I'm ashamed. I'm not loved by God. I'm riddled with guilt. No. I'm the light of the world. I've come to break into that darkness. I've, to come, I've come to set you free. I will take that darkness and I will set you free from all of that. Jesus says to this woman at the very end, he says, go and stop leading this life of sin. And I used to think when I read that, oh, I know what he's saying to her. Don't mess up again. But I think there may be more to it than that. I think what he's saying is, I'm the light of the world. You don't have to enter and re-enter into condemnation. You don't have to go back into a life of adultery. You don't have to go back into darkness. I have come to bring light to bear, and I've come to set you free. And I want you to have a moment with God right now. Because there are many people in this room, and you are living, you are cohabitating, you are coexisting with shame and guilt and condemnation. I'm telling you right now, you've been doing it for way too long. Like, it's time to be done with that. Something that was done to you. Something that you did. Something that you did, and you know it was just pure wrong, and you, but you can't shake it. Others of you here today, you are trapped in repetitive sin, and you feel like you're just tied up in knots on the inside. Now in the presence of God, God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free today from that. You've got condemnation and guilt and shame, and the Father is saying, that's not from me. I've got mercy for you and forgiveness. And so right now, Jesus says to you, I'm here to take your condemnation away and to give you mercy. Church, can we stand together? And I want to pray over every one of you. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now for your touch over every man and every woman. Lord, I pray that you would come as the light of the world and in this moment right here, you would literally break through darkness. The darkness of cyclical condemnation and guilt. The darkness that looks in the mirror and says, I am worthless. The darkness that has agreed with the enemy that says, unforgivable, unlovable, that's what you are. That we have literally said yes to that. God, we repent of that in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would set us free over that kind of junk and over those kinds of lies because of what you have done on the cross. In your presence, would you transform our minds right now? 
in your presence, would you transform our minds right now to actually agree with what you say about us, that you would silence the voices of the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ, and you would break the power of shame. And for those of us today who feel trapped, I pray right now in your presence that they would be changed, that something would break inside of them right now, and they would be saturated wave after wave of your mercy and your grace. That you don't condemn. You bring supernatural healing. You are the light of the world and you've come to set your children free. And together the whole church together said, Amen.